2: All right, welcome to another edition of the Huddle & Flow podcast. I am Steve White with my guy Jim Trotter. And Trot, you know, we've got another one of these exclusive um, podcasts. Last week we had Soledad O'Brien. This week we spoke to Niners General Manager John Lynch. You know, they're 2-2. Two and two. They're beat up. They're trying to rally back uh, from the Super Bowl. And in this interview, Jim, we, we covered a tremendous amount of ground with him.
3: Yeah, you know, Steve, he, he's one of my favorites. I've known John since he was in high school. He he doesn't remember it, but I was a high school writer at the San Diego Union and was sent up to do a story on on John at that time. I was preparing to play in an all-star football game, and I, I knew that there were two worlds when I got up to his high school, which is in, in a very affluent area. And I'm driving some beat-up old car, and John, at that on that day, happened to be driving a, a Porsche Cabriolet, I believe it was. So um, <laughs> Life like, is so hard. Yeah, you know? But, but having said that, John is one of the more authentic and real people that I know in this business. And he's the kind of guy that when you ask him a question, you get an answer. If he can tell you something, he will. If he can't, he won't. But I really wanted to understand from him his road to becoming a general manager, knowing that he bypassed some people who um, didn't take it very kindly, to, to, to be mild about it, that he would jump to the front of the line, not having been in the personnel department, working his way up as a scout and those sorts of things. And typical of John, he addressed the issue and, and, and the question. So um, he's just a thoughtful guy that, that um, I actually I love talking to. And um, the fact that he's from San Diego makes it all the more fun.
2: There you go. And the fact that he had a nicer car than you. When he was that, wasn't say,
3: that wasn't saying much back in those days, man. I think mean, everybody had a nicer car than I had.
2: Hey, man, my, 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 two, my, two, my two wheels in high school were right and left Nikes. So, you, you know, he was definitely doing better than me. Well, look, we talk about a lot of things here with John. We talk about increasing diversity in the front office. But most importantly, to a lot of the Niners fans, we talk about the injuries when guys are coming back. And what's the most pressing issue facing the team right now? All right. Now we're joined by Niners general manager, John Lynch, a good friend of uh, Jim and I. He's treated us well for years. So, John, welcome to the Hudland Flow podcast.
4: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, you know, I'm happy for you guys. I, uh, you guys I, I told you this before we got on two of my favorite guys in the business I've known you each for a long time got a great deal of respect so I was fired up when you you guys joined forces on this deal and and uh, I didn't know I was talking in myself into being one of the first guests but happy to join you
3: no we we no, we we wanted you as one of the early guests and I, I've said this before because you were number one so honest and number two you don't run away from issues and you address it and three you're always thoughtful when you talk about things. So I know that, that I wanted to have a conversation with you about certain things. So I appreciate you coming on. And I think our our listeners are going to learn a lot from you uh, during this conversation. Good deal. I look forward to it. All
2: right. So John, let's, let's start it off uh, coming off of Sunday's loss. You know, we, we know how some things went with, with Mullins and CJ, but just seeing you guys the last couple of weeks playing with such a depleted roster. Um, First off, from your standpoint, knowing what you guys are up against, talent-wise, and you're playing guys who haven't gotten necessarily a ton of reps, and you're getting them ready—they're um, backups for a reason. I mean, what's what's that like? Just seeing this superstar roster you had now taking the field at kind of you know diminished—I don't want to say talent, but di- I'll just leave it at diminished.
4: Yeah, I, I think I'd say a little more uh, maybe compromised than diminished. But we come out of New York and two wins um, and, you know, everybody's talking about the depth of our roster and how it's 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 uh, it's coming to the forefront. There's no hiding from when you when you lose certain players, when you lose a Nick Bosa, you're not going to be the same football team because that guy is a guy who goes into every game he plays and you either deal with him and you. You dedicate resources towards him, or he's going to dominate and ruin your game plan. You know, so there's certain players that change the dynamic, no, no doubt about it. Having said that, I, I felt like the one thing we had done over the years here is not only add to the quality of those type of players, but also to the quantity. Um, you know, in terms of the depth of our team, and I still think we're well equipped. Yes, we've been hit harder than most, and and that's in a year when everyone's been hit pretty big um with the injuries and they've happened to a lot of high profile players it's no different with our team and we've had a lot I still think we're equipped to to fight through this uh we had a bad night that, that you know we were not proud of it kind of embarrassing um uh, but you know this league's all about how you're going to respond at the end of the day we're two and two um we can do something about it all and we expect to
3: you guys haven't had many nights like that, John, uh, particularly the last couple of years. What What do you attribute it to?
4: You know, I don't know. I you know, I know, I know that what I thought coming into this game, uh, I thought that a lot of uh, a lot of the game would be dictated by, you know, uh, Kyle talks a lot about something my old coach, Coach Walsh, you know, when I had him at Stanford, used to talk. Who's going to beat who to the punch? And I felt like watching the line of scrimmage. The one thing I know about Philly, uh, they're a prideful organization. They've been down on their luck this year thus far going into the game. But they play hard each and every week and they're a physical group, particularly with that D-line. I think their D-line is kind of the engine that stirs that team along with their quarterback, Carson Wentz. And, and, uh, you know, from the very first play, I thought it was going to be important. Could we match their intensity? And uh, I think they won that matchup, and that affected the rest of the game.
3: People don't realize sometimes what you have until he's gone. And there was always this chatter about Jimmy Garoppolo. Is he really the guy? Is he really the guy? And now you lose a couple of games and all of a sudden it's talking about how important he is to what you do. Can you speak to that in terms of what Jimmy means to this team and how it operates when he is behind center versus not?
4: Yeah, Jim, I think the best thing I mean, I. I, I don't even engage in those talks anymore. And I just kind of, you know, I say, Hey, scoreboard, you know, like the guy wins, that's all he's done throughout his career. And I understand he's been on good teams, but he finds a way to win and you can nitpick and you can talk about, you know, decisions he might make, uh, things he can't do, but the bottom line in this business, do you win or do you, do you, do you not? And Jimmy has shown ever since he stepped on the field with the Patriots, um, his teams typically end up on the right side of the ledger and so we've always felt that way about him um nationally there seems to be a lot of people um and that's why you get paid the big bucks at that position um you, you know i think it's something jimmy understands uh, you know I, I i do think it's important for people and we all know this is a what what have you done for me lately business but this is a guy who you know, with seven minutes left in the Super Bowl was was about to become the MVP and we didn't find a way to close. Now that sticks with Jimmy. It's it sticks with our entire organization. Hopefully we get Jimmy back. His his ankle is responding well. Um, You know, you you have to kind of think big picture on these decisions. And Jimmy, one thing I love about him, uh, he's not. You know a typical quarterback mentality. He's a he's a he's a former linebacker, and he plays like that. Jimmy wouldn't have missed any games had he had he had his druthers. But you don't want to put a guy out there who's compromised because that tends to lead to bigger injuries. So we want him right when he's back, and hopefully that's this week against the Dolphins.
2: John, so you talked about the injuries real quick, Jimmy, as a former player. So you you've been through all of this league wide. Is there any way to attribute? What we've seen to the non preseason or the amended training camp?
4: Absolutely, I you know I, I don't see anything else that you could attribute it to. Um, now the the one thing I know from experience, and I haven't been updated. Uh, we've been dealing with so many COVID protocols and transactions and all that. I haven't had a time you know kind of quarterly. Typically, we'll go and look at these things because every year you say this is unprecedented we've never seen injuries like this then you go check the numbers and it's about yep. on course i think the big thing this year we lost a guy like nick bosa we lost a solomon thomas d ford hasn't played so you're talking about very prominent players and uh, a lot yeah richard sherman so you're talking about prominent players and you're talking about big injuries with acls and such so um you know, I think that is certainly how it's affected us. But, yes, I, I do think, Steve, uh, you know, I think we've made a lot of strides in the, in terms of the way um, we get ready in off-seasons and whatnot and getting rid of some of the excess off-season programs. I think this is a signal they still are necessary. You have to build up a callus. And I, I think the best way to describe that, you know, I used to work out in San Diego with uh, – the guy over your head, Jim, Junior Sao, and um, God bless his soul and, and and a whole group of guys that would come out there to a group that, you know, Peter Goscue used to hold these these training and they were legendary training thing uh, sessions. And we would come back in peak shape, but you still needed to go play football to be ready for a season. And so I think as much as you do off the field, you got to get that on field training uh, because it's different when you're reacting to someone else as opposed to just running a hill or, you know, and you can try to simulate it all you want. But as long as I've played the game and I think it will always be the case, at some point you actually have to get in football condition. I believe we miss that. I don't think for anyone's bad and no, no bad intentions by anyone. I think the league's actually done a phenomenal job getting us back on course. Uh, You know, it was jointly agreed to league and, and PA. So everybody was involved. But I think that the end result is that it is still necessary to have an offseason.
3: John, I wanted to, to talk about your tenure as general manager and sort of getting into that role without any, any practical experience in that type of position. And just as you look back to when you came in, to where you are now, has it been what you expected or has it been different from what you anticipated?
4: Yeah. I I think the, the best answer to that is I had no idea what to expect. Um, I I did for a couple reasons. Number one, being a broadcaster, um, and an analyst, a game analyst, um, what do you do? You're out and about and you go visit organizations. And, and so one thing I was always just curious of football, I wasn't saying, Hey, I'm going to be a general manager. Guys like Pete Carroll always give me a hard time. You were, you were, um, you were soaking us for information, knowing what you were going to do. And I, I promise you, I did not know. But I was just curious about football. And I was curious about my dad and mom used to always tell me, you want to be successful, study successful people. So I watched the organizations that worked. And then as I was a broadcaster, you'd go out and see a different lens of organizations that Year in year out didn't work, and it became very clear the organizations where everyone, no matter who you were having the conversation was, it sounded pretty similar. People were on the same page. You could tell there was communication. Um, those teams tended uh, to to do well, and it was reflected in in the way that the you know the the. Organization's success. And so um, that always stood out to me. But the the bottom line is I, you know, the other thing I had a good friend in, in Denver, John Elway is a good friend. And uh, we have a Stanford connection. We played, you know, my senior year at Torrey Pines High School, a guy named Jack Newmeyer, kind of a legend in the run and shoot offense came down. I was a quarterback and he became, well, that was John's high school football coach. So our connection goes way back to that. We were football, baseball players that went to Stanford. Uh, he was the poster I had above my wall. You know, I used to walk pigeon-toed around Torrey Pines campus because I thought if I walk like him, I play like him. Um, but then <laughs> fast forward all these years and I go to Denver and he looks out for me and he decided to take the dive into the Broncos. So um, he kind of invited me in and, you know, it was kind of a natural progression where the first year, hey... I I want eyes that I trust. Could you study the safeties this year? And then the next year it was, Hey, I appreciated the job you did. Could you do all the DBs? So I did that. And then the following year he and John Fox said, why don't you come in and, and see, you know, what a draft preparation looks like. So I did that. And so I think that was the best entree to what I was someday going to get into might look like, but even then I had no idea. Just a, I I think the biggest thing, just the totality of the job it, it never stops uh it's never ending you have your cell phone on you at all times and the calls you get um they would shock you you know um just and and uh it's just it's very uh intense but that's also what makes it fun um you know you you're dealing with player acquisition you're dealing but i think most importantly you're dealing with what what's the culture of your organization how do you set that what's the mindset are you going to try to become a championship team. Um, And that's what brought me to the 49ers. And um, so that's a long answer to a short question, but that's kind of what's on my mind.
3: No, I want to get into the to the culture part of it and creating that culture. But I also wanted to ask you to and you know this when you came in, there are a lot of personnel people who spend their entire adult lives really trying to get to where you're at. And then to see you come in without having that experience, what kind of, I don't want to say pushback, because I don't think anyone would would give you blowback, but there was some resentment among some personnel people. I just wonder if you ever had to have that conversation with anyone who may have felt that way and somehow felt that you had to justify being in that position.
4: No, you know, I I uh, I heard whispers, probably, um, but. I, went, I really wasn't focused on that. I was focused on the job at hand. And I suppose, you know, I, I knew that coming in and I was I was conscious and aware of that. But um, I've tried to live life by a premise my entire life of, you know, you got to follow your heart. Um, you know, I, I probably was a more talented baseball player, but my heart said I love football. So I followed football. Um, you know, I, I was a quarterback for, you know, my whole life. And I got up to Stanford and I got tired of not playing. And I walked in the coach's office and I started playing safety because I just wanted to follow my heart and I just wanted to be on a field. So that served me well throughout my life. You know, I, uh, the same thing when I married my wife, she she was a great friend for years and I'm leaving for my second year. And I said, if I leave San Diego without locking this up, she's not going to be here. So I followed (laughs) my heart and I did it in three days. And so right or wrong, that's kind of how, um, I've always tried to operate, and this opportunity—and it wasn't something that had long been thought out. Uh, I honestly was home one night, and Kyle Shanahan was yeah, you know, was doing games. I had done a playoff game with the Atlanta Falcons, and was so impressed by Kyle. I obviously knew his dad from playing for Mike for four years, and had just probably followed Kyle more so because of that relationship. Didn't know Kyle that well, but then as a broadcaster, got to know him and saw what he was doing offensively and got to talk with him in production meetings and started becoming really enamored with this, with this, uh, offensive mind. Um, and then it started looking like, um, he was going to be the guy here in San Francisco and something, you know, I couldn't go to bed one night and my wife has said, something's going on. You're thinking about something. And, um, she was right. I didn't even know what it was at the time and, uh, woke up the next day and picked up the phone and, called Kyle to congratulate him on another one in the playoffs and said, Hey, by the way, you know, if you need someone to do this thing with, you know, what about me? And he had no idea what I was talking about. Um, and he said, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, to be your GM, you know, I've heard that you, you're trying to find someone you'd be comfortable. And, you know, he, he kind of thought about it and said, you would do that. Why would you do that? You got a great life. You know? <laughs> Why would you want to do that? And uh, next thing you know, he's calling back saying, Hey, I want you to call this dude named Jed and uh, <laughs> and talk about what you just said to me because I'm really intrigued and and that's the story. So, um, you know, a funny story on that, uh, Jim. I my first, I still had some duties with uh, at Super Bowl. It was the Super Bowl down in Houston. Uh, Kyle was actually coaching in it, and I was just checking in the hotel because I thought it was right that I that I kind of see out my duties with Fox. They had me on a show when I said, you know what, Jed. Uh, I'm going to accept the job, but I, I feel like the right thing to do is Fox counted on me to be here. So I want to finish this week off. And he was like, that's great. So I'm checking in the hotel and I guess Stephen A. Smith, had just ripped me on, um, whatever his show is, I forget the name. Um, but, um, it just ripped me. And I was in, I was in a line checking in the hotel and I've known Stephen A for done a show a lot. And, uh, I guess wasn't ripping me, but ripping the fact that I got the job when there's a lot of people who've waited. And I saw Stephen A. while I was checking in um, the hotel, and you know, dapped him up, and we hugged. (laughs) And Stephen A. seemed different. Usually, he's not quiet. He was quiet, and then somebody behind me in the league said, "Man, you're a really forgiving guy." And I said, "Why am I forgiven?" And he said, "Oh, you didn't you didn't watch this morning, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) I had been on the plane, and I guess he had lit me lit me up, and and uh, you know, but." you know, I, I think what I knew is that I was going to have to earn just like I, I'd always done in this league. I, it's the one thing I love about the NFL. You got to earn your stripes. And uh, I don't know if I've done that in everyone's eyes, but what I did, I came in here, I put my head down, uh, tried to cultivate a a, a uh, environment where everyone was going to be heard. Everyone was going to be valued, the opinions, um, you know, knew we had to get the right people in here, um, but uh, and, and just knew that I was going to have to earn people's respect. And uh, were there some growing pains because of that lack of experience? Absolutely. Uh, I knew that I knew there would be. So I, you know, it really made it important bringing in a guy like Martin Mayhew, who I played with and, and, uh, and trusted implicitly, uh, bringing in a guy like Adam Peters, who I had met in Denver and really respected his football acumen. Uh, finding a guy like Rand Carthon and, you know, we had to develop a team that I could trust and go to work with. So, and here we are four years in, I I hope I've earned the respect of people throughout the league. Um, But that's, that's the only way I know how to operate.
2: Dan, you mentioned Martin and Rand, um, of course, two diverse uh, employees, but it sounds like you didn't even think about that when you hired them. And we know one of the big issues in the NFL is increasing the amount of people and personnel and coaches, you know, in color. From your viewpoint now, from what you've done, again, you've been a player, you've been a broadcaster, you're now a general manager. How can guys like Martin or Ran or a Champ Kelly or Terry Fonteno and guys like that around the league, GMs of color, get into, they're in the pipeline, but how can they get to where you are?
4: Yeah, um, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, something I was thinking about, You know, when I when I was coming on this show, because I I respect how you guys, um, you know, stay on this topic. And I I knew, you know, um, it might come up. It's something I think about a lot, a lot. Um, I I do think that there's been kind of a a lack of awareness league wide, because I'll tell you something I've always loved about the game of football. I think it does a tremendous job of breaking down barriers and making you uh, celebrate um the fact that you're a lot more alike than you think you might be with, with other people and then also celebrate the differences um and 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 really celebrate that and you know i i think in the last year um i've thought a lot about i think maybe that is has forced um or or kind of created this environment where people have had a blind eye because know what, we're living in a great environment. Um, you know, because I've always thought positively about the inclusiveness of football, because to me, it's what has football always done. It's brought people together. I mean, how can Derek Brooks, who's from Pensacola, Florida, and myself from San Diego came up different backgrounds, different race. Um, but I talked to Derek, four days a week, at least, you know, and and it's through those bonds and through striving for the same thing that you realize um, you're, you're so much more alike than you are different. And so you think, you know what, the rest of the world deals with that stuff, but football, thank God, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's on the forefront of, of inclusiveness. And then you get in this role and you, and you see, you know, like, that's not, it doesn't sit well with me that, um, you know, the role that I'm in is so, Uh, sparsely represented by people of color that's not that's not right and there's capable people I have them right here I have them they're a part of our team here uh, with with the 49ers and I, I think it's it's something that hasn't been lost upon me I mean one of the things that we're trying to do I think we put all these guys like there's great representation in our front office but I think one thing this league doesn't do is prepare people for all that's going to be asked of them of a GM. And so that's something we've been conscious of. How do we better prepare? And so, you know, we've talked about this idea of a 49ers Academy where, you know, on a, on a given Tuesday Prague Marate will get our group on and we've all been opened our eyes up with these zoom meetings. They actually work and we can bring people together and Prague can talk about salary cap because a pro personnel guy doesn't always get exposed to that. And if you're going to be a GM, you better know about the salary cap. Uh, You know, uh, the, the, the college scouting coordinator can talk to the, to rank Carthon on on the pro side about, you know, here, here's, um, you know, kind of uh, through osmosis being in the building, you get that, but really go, you know, deep in the weeds of those things. And so, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I, I'm taking with me as a challenge. How, how do I best prepare these guys so that when they get the opportunities, uh, they'll interview well and, and present well. And then number two, when they get it, that's the most important. When you get the opportunity, how are you, are you going to be able to, to deliver? And, uh, you know, it's not just Martin and it's not just ran. It's, it's, uh, guys like Demetrius Washington that people haven't heard of. He's the head of our, uh, research and development group here. Um, he replaced, uh, you know, Quasi, Adolfo Mensa, who went on to the Cleveland Browns and is Andrew Barry's number two guy. We're, we're thrilled about those opportunities. We need more of them. And I think everyone's eyes have been open here. Um, and we got to see that through.
3: You know, John, one of the great things about having this podcast is we can say what we feel and not have to worry about anything else. So I'll say this. I think the 49ers are progressive and the things that you guys are doing are great. But I think... This problem is not, it goes beyond that. And it goes to the, to the highest level possible, to the ownership level. And as you said, it's not for a lack of, of candidates or qualified individuals. It has more to do with owners getting to the point where they say, that's someone I want running my organization. And somehow we have to figure out a way to bridge that gap. And, I, and I'm not sure how you do that. I think you guys trying to prepare um, your people for these roles is great, but it goes beyond that. And I am, I, um, you know, e- even I struggle with this because even even this week with Bill O'Brien being fired, to me there should always be a system of checks and balances where you should not have a head coach, someone who is head coach and general manager, because it, it there are too many emotions involved in it and it colors decisions that are made and whatnot. Uh, I wonder, from your standpoint too, and the role that you're in, how much you believe in a system of checks and balances, and can you explain why, if you believe in that, why it is important from your perspective?
4: Yeah. Uh, other than the, the and that, that's not even fair because Nick Casario does such. He's figured it out through years and years. But I'll tell you, there's so much involved in this job. I I could never think about having another title on top of this, and and. I mean that's it's something jim we we try to build into our to our uh culture here is checks and balances all over the place you know we've got traditional scouting <clears throat> but how are you gonna use research and development analytics well you we use it as a check and balance you know so I think everything that you that you uh that you build as an organization you want to check and balance and I think it's one of the things you know I'm proud of that that we've done well here is kind of uh the synergy we have throughout our organization. And, you know, uh, well, not only, uh, being, being okay with people challenging your beliefs, but welcoming that, you know, and, and making a, you know, having an environment where everyone's heard. And so, yeah, these jobs ask a lot of you, I think, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's not getting any smaller, the job. So I think just innately, it makes sense to have multiple people do it, which increases the opportunities. And, and, you know, uh, but I, I think more than anything, you probably hit on something and I, I don't, I don't think it's really, um, you know, bad intent, like, you know, what you hit on about who do I want running my organization? You know, it's, it often goes way, way back to who are you comfortable around and, um, you know, I do think that this year has been a huge year because I think it has, because I, I do think we've kind of lived in this perception. Well, the rest of the world's got a problem, but we don't, you know, we, we're, we actually, because I think anyone can feel that when you go to a football game, I remember going to charger season ticket games as, as a kid and my dad was in the radio business. So he was always entertaining clients during a game up in a uh, suite, but my brother, my sister and, And, uh, and I would sit down in the, in the fans, in the, in the stands. And when I, you know, one day played in Super Bowl 37, the first thing I did when I walked in that stadium is look up to where our season tickets. But I remember, uh, you know, people, black, white, you know, when the chargers, when Dan Fouts would throw to JJ Jefferson and John Jefferson and, you know, the high fives going on, people hugging people. I mean, that drew me to this sport I think more than anything. And so I, I do think there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, a thought league wide that we, we really don't have an issue. And I think our eyes have been opened up that, yeah, there's a big issue. And uh, I think there's a lot of people intent upon changing that. And that's a good thing.
3: Well, I, I just hope it's the right people, because I think people like you and others understand that, but you don't have decision-making power. That comes at the ownership level. And until they change how they think, and how they view people of color, um, I'm not sure it's going to get much better. So um, I want to be optimistic. But when we see what happened last year, where a guy like Eric Bieniemy, who does everything right, and comes off the Andy Reid tree, and the, pre- the two people who preceded him in that position both get head coaching positions, and there were, what, seven or eight openings last year, and he doesn't get one? And then we're told that it's that owners are now looking for young, offensive minded coaches and the New York Giants go out and hire Joe Judge, who doesn't fit that bill at all. Well, what is Eric bien And I'm not trying to speak for him, but what is he supposed to think? Or people who are about inclusion, diversity and inclusion, what are they supposed to think? So I think. Progressive people like yourself and people within your organization understand that. I just don't know that the owners have reached the point where not only that that they understand it, but they accept that there is it's good business to go out and hire the best people possible, regardless of color. Um, And hopefully we're getting there. But but again, I guess I've been around this league so long that I'm going to wait because all those things you talk about in terms of coming from different backgrounds and being able to work together and whatnot, that's absolutely true of the locker room. But the higher you go in an organization, it seems the less we see that. So now I'm off my soapbox.
4: No, it's not a soapbox, it's it's reality. And and you know, I, I think the thing, Jim, you you stay on this issue, and I know it it probably bothers some people. Like, why don't you get off that? You know, we we have a good league, but I appreciate it because I know your heart. Um, and I know you're well intended. And Uh, You know, I think something I've thought a lot about, you know, in in this year of a lot of, uh, you know, social justice and social injustice talked is, is, you know, I I think about my experience as a player. I was a defensive back in the NFL and, you know, as a a white kid. So I got to step in and be the minority. I, I was usually the one. You know so much of what we do is segmented by your position group and so i was usually the one white guy and i just know how grateful i am that i was always accepted now that didn't come free i had to earn people's respect but people invited me into their home they they, they you know I'm, I'm godfathers to the children and um like i said that doesn't come free it had to be earned but it was always a very welcoming spirit and so
3: did you feel that did you actually feel that being the minority among that group?
4: Um, you know, I, I felt it um, just in some of the, you know, there's jokes going around left and right. And, and um, you know, some of the things, you know, uh, I'll never forget. This is a funny story. I shouldn't, I'm, I'm out in myself because the, the first game I ever played with, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, you know, we're sitting around at the, at the team meal and um we weren't very good back then. And, but, but we were confident like every team, and we we're about to go 16 and 0. Sam Weiss was our coach and we were at our pregame meal and people tend with nervous energy to have fun and start telling jokes. And, uh, I was at the table and, uh, you know, all the DBs were, we were all sitting together. These guys like Marty Carter and Barney Bussey and Jerry Gray, um, guys, you know, who now are, are coaches and, and uh, you know, in, in this league, I'm aging myself, but, um, uh, you know, we were all sitting around and, and somehow we got talking on a silly, uh, topic and, you know, you remember growing up and, and I'm nodding my head and everybody's talking. You remember when, when the free cheese used to come, you know, and, and you remember the cheese truck. I mean, you just eat cheese for a week. You would eat grilled cheese. You just have straight cheese. You And, I, and they're all laughing and I'm laughing too. And they're, they're like, you know, they said, Rook, what, what are you talking about? You know about free cheese? And, um, I said, yeah, you know, my mom has bree cheese a lot. And, and, and they said, what did you just say? And Barney, you know, Barney had been around. He knew what brie cheese was. He said, did you just say brie cheese? And uh, I said, yeah, that's what you're talking about, right? And they are like, oh, my God. No, we're talking about government cheese. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and so that was kind of my entree to the NFL. That All right, this is a little different. We, they didn't talk about government cheese up at Stanford. <laughs> so no.
2: they, were, they were handing out brie, brie government cheese at Stanford. There,
4: I think so. I think so. <laughs> but you know what happened out of that experience? We all drew closer. I mean, they said, you know what? You're cool. Dude, come on. We're going to teach you about about free cheese and, and uh, you know, but I think about those experiences and we still laugh about those till this day. You know, uh, I remember when I, when I went into the ring of honor in Tampa, all those guys were there and that was the first story that was told. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's
2: hilarious. Hey, hey, Jen, you know, you mentioned earlier when you were broadcaster, how you get to go to different clubs and see which ones are run a certain way and which ones are run in certain ways. And you know, look, Jim and I, we, we do the same thing. And the Niners are clearly a forward-thinking, open-minded, um, very progressive organization. Of course, it starts at the top with their owner, Jed York. And this summer, I mean, I don't know if there's been a club, you know, in light of George Floyd, Arbery and the social justice uh, reactions and social injustice reactions, if there's been a club that's been as forward-thinking and as forward-moving as the Niners. I mean, what about some of the projects you guys have done in-house, And then some of the things you guys are doing outside the building just to make sure, you know, the educational aspect of it. And then some of the things you guys are doing in the community to enlighten people with you and your players and everybody else kind of using their influence.
4: Yeah, this organization, it's one of the things that that drew me to the Niners. Uh, So when people say, why, why did you leave a, you know, a cush job at Fox where you got to get your football fix, but still have a have a pretty normal life and have a lot of freedom. Um, part of it was the allure I'd been exposed to the 49er way. Uh, Denny Green recruited me to Stanford and Denny Green had come from Stanford and then Denny Green leaves from Minnesota and Bill Walsh comes in. So I felt like I knew what the 49er way was all about. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the standards of excellence and, and all those things. and, and, you know, it was an organization that had fallen upon some hard times in recent years. And so we had a chance to come in, but, and, and fix that, but the Yorks in every way, I, I think, um, you know, started with Mr. DeBartolo, um, but just their commitment to the people who have played here first and foremost, I think, uh, the way they treat their alums, that's something that, you know, throughout the interview process and, 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 uh, that was something important to Kyle and I that, we get an environment where those people feel welcome in our building. There's such a great history here. Why wouldn't you embrace it? But it goes well beyond that. And you mentioned Jed, I would start with mom, uh, Denise. I mean, she is very conscious about, um, you know, providing opportunity and uh, inclusion for, for people, you know, of color for, for women. And uh, it's represented throughout this organization. And, you know, I think, I think the one thing, um, you know, we, like Sally Clavel is in our pro personnel department and does a tremendous job. Somebody came and advocated for Sally, um, you know, is uh, for that role. And, and um, you know, we brought Sally in. And first thing I told Sally, you know, um, yeah, maybe we were there was a little bit of a of a want, um, because there, there was a push by Mrs. DeBarlow, but Sally, you're going to earn this job. If you're going to get it, we're going to pick the, the most qualified person and the person who wins the job. And I think that's all anyone can ever ask for. Can, can, can I have an opportunity to impress people? I think back to Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin was a coach of mine. And, uh, you know, I, I'll never forget being at the Pro Bowl. And I got a call from Tony Dungy and, and, and Monty Kiffin and Rich McKay. And Herm Edwards had left for the Jets. He was my position coach. And they interviewed like 25 people because they knew filling Herm shoes were, were going to be big shoes. And and uh, I was at the Pro Bowl. I thought I was getting cut because this was before cell phones. And I came back and that light in your room was going on. And it was, hey, you need to check in at the facility. So I was like, oh, I thought I was playing well <laughs> at the Pro Bowl. But Tony got on and he said, hey, we got good news and, and bad news. And I said, what's the good news? And he said, we got you one heck of a coach and we're really excited and you're going to be excited too. And I said, okay, well, that's all good. What's the bad news? And they said, you're two years older than him. And uh, that was my introduction to Mike Tomlin. And uh, What did Mike do? Mike came in and, and earned my respect. And I, I would tell you in the first month I said, Ronda and Barbara and I were sitting in a meeting. I said, this dude's going to be a head coach because Mike just had it. You know, he, he's intelligent. He could communicate. He could be demanding with guys older than him. Uh, he could be demanding with younger guys. Um, and I think like the Rooney rule, people ask, does it work? Well, it worked in that case. I, I think that the Steelers had other ideas as to where they were going to go. But all you had to do was let Mike Tomlin in the right interview and or in a interview. And I promise you, he He was going to blow blow it out and blow it away. And apparently that's what happened in Pittsburgh. And he's been there 15 years.
3: John, can I ask this question? Um, in, In today's NFL, head coaches are getting more and more power. And I just wonder, from someone who sits in your chair, how much is your job about personnel and how much of your job is about psychologists in terms of balancing the relationship with a head coach?
4: Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I think it's all of the above. It, it, it really is. But I, you know, the one thing I would say the, uh, and, and I, have, I've always had an immense amount of respect, uh, and coaches do a tremendous job. The good ones do uh, the old adage, never let them see you sweat, but they're human. Right. So they've got moments um, where, the enormity of the job gets to them and they need someone sometimes just to be able to talk. And I think if Tony Dungy gave me some advice early on, um, you know, when I first got in this job and you call the people that you respect the most and I called Tony and I said, you know, he called to congratulate and I said, could we get some time, uh, you know, to, to just kind of share your thoughts on what, what what's the best things I can do long-term but more importantly, right, right away. And uh, the biggest thing, he said, Kyle's, Kyle's going to need you, you know, and you got to you got to make him know uh, or let him know that you're always going to be there for him. And the way to do that is to spend time and spend time watching film. That's going to help you guys understand. It's going to put you on the same page. What are the type of attributes we're looking for at every position what, on offense, on defense, on special teams? What kind of coaching staff? And I think that's probably the best thing we've done is uh, is spend a lot of time together, and we're very like-minded. We have different personalities. Uh, Kyle's very direct. I kind of massage things, and so I think we balance each other out well. But I tell you that it's not a one-way street. He's played psych- psychologist to me numerous times. As, as we were working, when you start 0 and 8, um, you need a psychologist. Uh, you need a friend. You know, my wife's always been that for me. But when you're in this building, you need someone that you can – you can dump on and say, "Man, this is man. I'm 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 giving this thing everything I have, and it doesn't feel like we're making progress." Because you are human, uh, and then you pick each other up, and and I think that's what a, that's what you do as a player. You have people you can confide in, you can trust. Well, the same goes um, when you're on the other side of it, and so yeah, a, a a big part of my of my job and Kyle's job is to pick each other up so that we can lead this organization. And uh, the other part is constantly spending time so that we're on the same page, because, you know, as I said, I know they're division rivals, so I shouldn't speak this fondly of them. but when I, I I used to go to do a lot of Seattle games, and I could talk to John Schneider in his office and then go talk to Pete Carroll in his office an hour later, and the messaging was always the exact same. Well, that's not I don't think those are talking points being handed out. Those are those guys truly being on the same page. and and so that's something I knew that we we needed to create here. And it goes through our personnel. When you talk about personnel acquisition, our coaches are very involved. And to some people that's in a front in the front office, uh, you know, my attitude was, why wouldn't we collaborate? Why wouldn't we work together? These guys are the ones coaching them. They better be on the same page as, as we are. So we try to create that that synergy. And there's different times of the year where they don't have as much time to put to that. So we do our job. But um, Yeah, I think it's equal and there's a there's a lot more to it as well than psychologist and player acquisition. This job's never ending. And and you do you need people you can rely on to be picked up to sometimes tell you the truth. Hey, we need to be better here. And and, uh, I think we've got a good situation in that in that respect.
3: You know, one of the things I've seen with you, whether it's good times or bad, is just how exacting, how demanding this job can be. And I just wonder from your perspective, how long are you going to do this? Um, And and what kind of toll does it take on you that maybe you didn't realize when you first got into it?
4: I think being a player that was able to last for 15 years and retiring on my own terms, um, you learn that, you know what, you, you, you kind of live in the moment and you do your best each and every day. And then you lay your head down and you get a good rest so you can wake up the next day and go at it again. And, um, you know, you, you you can't let when you're a leader of an organization and when we were in 0, 0 and 8, I couldn't walk around here and show that, you know, man, he looks drained. You know, I had to walk around positive each and every day and project um, and that projection better be the reality because you can't fake that. So um, I do think I, I'm well equipped because I learned as a player, you, you do the best that you can do each and every day. You kind of live in the moment. You attack it. Um, and you demand that out of people you work with.
3: So, how long do you want to do it, John? You didn't answer (laughs) that. You
4: just just, just blew right through that, man. I was doing an interview earlier this year and I made some comment just as a throwaway like, I'm not a lifer, and then that got a lot of attention up here. What's that mean? Um,
3: what does that mean?
4: (laughs) I'm I'm living in the moment, Chad. I'm I'm having a blast (laughs) doing this. I really am, and uh. Challenge. Uh, there is such a challenge. All, all the things we're talking about off the field, but more. This is a proud organization, and when I see the Ronnie Lots and I work with Keena Turner, those guys expect championships, and that's what brought me here, and that's what drives me each and every day. And so I think as long as that's my mindset, and I'm willing to pay the price, and and, and put in that energy that is a championship energy, uh, we have a great thing on the walls out here that Bill Walsh once said, and it's champions behave like champions before they're champions. And, you know, I, I, I thoroughly believe that. So I I think as long as I'm bringing a championship effort, um, and, and they'll have me, um, I'll be here. I I love it. Um, I, I really, it's the challenge of this job, um, is is tremendous. And, you know, you see my family in the, in the background, I'm uh, I'm cutting half of them. There they are. Um, that's my first day on the job, you know, but one of the things I connected with Jed and Kyle is like, Hey guys, like, um, look, I'm ready to take this dive and, and, you know, I came to you guys and got you guys interested, but like one thing I have to know is that my family's got to be a part of this thing. Uh, you know, it, this isn't me coming, me leaving my family in San Diego and seeing them six weeks a year. That's not how, how I roll. You know, we, we roll together in the Lynch family. I played for Tony Dungy and you know, his kids used to run through team meetings. <laughs> I remember them, you know, running through and then we just understood that. And I think Kyle and I probably connected on that as much as anything. He's My family's everything to me. So I wouldn't want it any, any, any different. Um, and, and so that that's actually been probably the biggest, the, the toughest part of this year with all the COVID protocols. People say, what is the biggest challenge? There's protocols we're all working through, but I think you work so hard in this business. The payoff is your family getting to experience really cool experiences and getting to share this with you. And I think that's been really compromised in a year like this because they can't come to the facility. They can't come share it with you. They can't come to a game and then hang out with the other staff and their families afterwards. That's been very difficult, not just for the 49ers league wide, not just for myself. I've heard a lot of people talk about that because it is demanding and, um, it takes special people in your family to understand that, but there's also a great payoff. And this year, uh, that hasn't been there as much as, as possible. So I'm still rambling, but, uh, yeah, I'll do this as long as I can bring a uh, championship effort to it. And, and hopefully I'm doing that.
3: Yeah. I know your family that that's not just talk. That's real for people who don't know you, that family is very important to you and, and that time and spending time with them. So, so I respect that. And, um, that's why I say, I know that, that for all that this job demands in terms of time, and then after your playing career, as much time as that demanded of you, um, that's why I asked that question. Just how long can you see yourself doing it? You're, you're
4: Isn't a problem though. I'll tell you this because I've told you this, but, um, I follow you on Twitter. And every time you show a sunset on the San Diego beaches, I, I, I love Northern Cal. I'm looking at a beautiful view out here, of the mountains, but man, San Diego has my heart. And, uh, you know, we had finally got back out to San Diego. That probably hurt my wife more than anything. We finally got home, and now you're making me leave again. <laughs> so, um that probably hurts me as much as
3: anything, Chuck. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll stop, you just I'll stop posting some of those.
4: <laughs> right,
2: Jim is not going to stop posting. He's going to pile on now that you told yeah. him that. Man. I got a kid in the middle of therapy. Hey, hey, no, but John, much respect for you taking the time to uh, to join us here. I love I love what you just said about your family because Jim and I are, are the same type of guys. Um, our families mean everything. Um, so just thank you so much for sharing your insights and your perspective. And a little bit of you, man. We really do appreciate it.
4: Thank you. This, this was therapeutic after you guys played psychologist to me. (laughs) Therapeutic after an NFL loss. All right, John, all the best. Okay. Thanks
3: a lot, guys. You know, now, Steve, you can see why John Lynch has always been a favorite of mine. He has his priorities, you know, in line football is important to him, but family is first and, and, um, that's why I felt the need to ask the question about how long is he going to do this? Because people may not realize being a general manager in the NFL it is a grind, and and it impacts family life and those sorts of things. Particularly when you've had a long playing career like he had, where so much of his time was devoted to to his craft. Um, so, just one of my favorites.
2: And again, he's with an organization that is so open minded. You know, we we go all over the league and we see some organizations. I thought it was interesting. When he said, you know, they include their coaches like in every personnel decision in film. And it's true. I've actually watched film with, you know, a couple of their coaches looking at like college draft prospects. There are teams that don't do that, people. There are teams that may let their coaches give them a certain window. What do you think about this guy as a first or second rounder? But there are personnel departments who are like, okay, that's as much of our turf as we're going to share with you. And that's why certain teams like the 49ers have built themselves into constantly being competitive. And other teams are still on the hamster wheel. Firing people every four or five years. So I thought that was really cool how he, he kind of mentioned that. Um, but, Jim, I mean, we, we we did it again. We're fortunate to get another guest on here to, to enlighten our viewers, to enlighten us. And we keep on doing this here at the Huddle and Flow, man.
3: Yeah, I just say, you know, to our listeners, if you're enjoying it each week, um, subscribe to the, to the podcast. You can go to Apple Podcasts. You can go to Spotify Podcasts. Huddle and Flow. Subscribe. Leave us a review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like so that we can give you more of what you're looking for. And I paraphrase uh, uh, George Clinton there. So I'm not sure. Well, no, our listeners know, Steve, let's do it right. So we can give you more of what you're funking for. Funking for. OK, that's right. So please, Parliament subscribe. Yes, sir. Subscribe, review, leave a comment. And um, we appreciate you as always.